Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Okay, here we are back again. And I want to start out by giving a couple shout-outs. Uh, the first one is to Tom and Sandy Klanderman in Michigan. Great to have you guys listening. And Pat and Gina McNally in Lancaster. I'm trying to say it right. I'm trying to. But Lancaster. And they actually sent me some little dinosaurs. Thank you, guys, because they know I like dinosaurs and fossils. So thank you. I'm keeping them right here on my desk. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, let's see, John, Neil, and family, also here in Pennsylvania. Great to hear from you guys. And then John and Donna England in Ohio, friends from Connecticut, now living in Ohio. Gunner and Chris. Gunner did not want to be me to give him a shout-out, but I got you, Gunner, again. Uh, Kiermaier, Gunner and Chris Kiermaier in the Poconos. They moved to the Poconos. And then Linda Rohrbach. She's actually going to be moving to Lebanon soon, so great to hear from you, Linda, and it's great to have you part of our uh, watching crew here back back in the, the loop with New Hope Community Church. And then Yoshi Perry in New Jersey, just a little too far away over the bridge there uh, near Philadelphia, and then Mariella Subers in uh, back from Arizona, but still about an hour away. So great to have you, Mary Ellis, connected again. So if I forget anybody on shout-outs, let me know. Remind me, because I'm, I'm getting older. So remind me, okay? We're also going to be starting a new side series, a prophecy video series, called Biblical Prophecy, Making Sense of This Crazy World. And I should have it out by this weekend. It's going to be starting out this weekend, uh, maybe even by the time you're watching this or listening to this. If To get to it, you just go on our website, www.newhopechurchpa.org, and you go under uh, blogs up on the top there. There's a thing, blogs, and then go down under, uh, there you'll see where my sermons are, but also a little further on down, there's a place for prophecy. And just click on there, or you can go on YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube. Down below, there's a little family, mom and dad and a kid holding hands, and uh, where there's a, you can just click on that little circle there, and you can then go to the sidebar where it has worship or tidbits, and then it will also have a prophecy category, and you can follow along on that. And also, you can go on iTunes to, if you want to just hear the, the audio that it's on iTunes. But I'm going to start out with Mark 13 and Matthew 24, and then I'm going to go into Daniel and Revelation. Uh, going to really try to make prophecy accessible, but also connect the dots. There's so much happening in the world today, and nothing surprised, should surprise us as we're going to see. So make sure you dial into that if you want to really see what the Bible says about prophecy and the world events and where we are in our world today, okay? Now, the sermon I'm doing today, we're in 2 Kings 2, we're in the life of Elisha, and I actually preached this, I'm going to back up a little bit in the life of Elisha, next week we're going to jump ahead to the, the chronological order, but I wanted to back up to something I'd done earlier in the life of Elisha, because I remember when I preached, I said, you're going to have to listen to this multiple times, listen to it over and over again, because it's so vital and also so difficult to process and to even more difficult to practically live out. And that Sunday, I really poured out my heart, but we had a recording issue. So I had to go shoot over to Bob's house and do it in front of the computer quick, uh, back when that was a very unusual thing. And, uh, but I, but I, knew that I needed to preach it over again because I just did a quick one. I was exhausted. It was Sunday right, you know, right after lunch. So I knew I needed to do this one again. And this is the time. 
This is the time to do it again. Uh, the sermon is some... The Bible's the same, but there's a lot of different changes that I put into it. And it's also connected to Resurrection Sunday. So the reason I'm doing it again is, number one, it, we need to hear this again. I need to hear it again. I need to hear this every day. But also, it's connected to Resurrection Sunday, which we just had. And I preached on Easter, Resurrection Sunday, that about living in victory. Living by Jesus Christ's resurrection power. But we can't do that. But before we can, it's hard to do what we're going to see, but before we can do that, we have to die just like Jesus did. Before we, just as Jesus had to die to show his resurrection power, we also need to die to live out his resurrection power. And the title, my original title for this sermon was A Leap of Faith. And I'm going to still do that leap of faith. But also I added a, a second title and that is Life on the Edge. Life on the Edge, which we're going to see why. 2 Kings 2, 7 to 15, if you want to turn to that and be ready for that. But first of all, the leap of faith kickoff here. I grew up near Niagara Falls, New York. know a lot of people from Niagara Falls area uh, following here, uh, watching. And uh, we loved going to the falls. But there was once a famous daredevil who jumped the falls. Not over it but into it, down into the base of the falls. And even I didn't know this. I'm reading an old history book, and I came across this story, and I really looked into this guy. And his name was Sam Patch. He was an early American daredevil. This article that I'm using today is by Brian Locker. Did a great job with it. And I'm just going to read a couple things. Now, Sam Patch was a celebrity long before there was such a thing as celebrities, the age of celebrities. And he was, in the 1820s, he was a mill worker, and he captured the imagination of the American public with a series of death-defying jumps, leaps, leaps. He drew lots of crowds, big crowds, and lots of media attention. It started out in Great Falls, Patterson, New Jersey. Anybody from Patterson out there? Great Falls, Patterson, New Jersey. He was that became known as the Jersey Jumper. He was living in Patterson, and you know there's the Patterson Falls there. And in 1827, there was an entrepreneur named Timothy Crane, he was building a bridge across that falls and he had a big kickoff for cutting the ribbon and all, but, but somebody stole the, the thunder that day. Sam Patch stole the show from Crane and the celebration because he wowed the crowd. He went up to the edge of the cliff, 77 feet above those swirling waters below and he jumped in. He leaped in. Big, big sensation, and Sam the Jersey Jumper was so energized by the reaction of the crowd that he decided to start to take his show on the road. And he would go, he went on a, a jumping tour. One of the places he ended up was Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls. Have you ever seen the falls? That's a very powerful water, scary. But he, he decided to jump the falls, not over, but he decided to jump into the base and he built a platform along the edge of the of the falls and he jumped off that platform into the swirling waters below. There was a group of hotel owners who said, we'll pay you $75 to come and jump into the falls. <laughs> and, and it was October 1829. No one had ever survived a jump at Niagara before, but he decided to try it. 10,000 spectators showed up. 
10,000 spectators showed up. He jumped, he had a platform built. It ended up being 120 feet from the water below. And he, and he jumped into the churning waters below and survived it. It was a really, really big deal. Everybody was excited. Then he moved on to Rochester to the Genesee Falls. Some of you I know from Rochester, and a lot of you know what where the Genesee Falls is. And this time it was a 97-foot drop, almost as spectacular as Niagara Falls. And he climbed, uh, he went to the middle of the river where they had a rock ledge, and he built a platform, and it ended up being 100 feet high with a platform. And he had a bear that he used to do these jumps with. And so he, he, he pushed his bear off, and it, it survived, it swam to the side, so he said, okay, it's safe. Uh, and so then he jumped too. He jumped and, and everybody was cheering, but they weren't, there wasn't as much of a crowd and not as much money earned. So he decided on a second jump, a second jump. And this, they called this one higher yet. They built it even higher, 25 feet higher. And so it was ended up being 125 feet high. And they publicized it. 8,000 people showed up. 8,000 people showed up. And so Sam, Sam, they were proclaiming it as Sam's last jump prophetically. And so he gets there. He jumps off this platform and he, in the, he, they didn't know if he had a few too many drinks or what happened, but he didn't look too stable as he climbed up. And when he jumped, he didn't have his normal jumping form. He kind of started going sideways. And he hit the water, uh, flopped, hit the water, and he never came up again. Never came up again. He disappeared under those icy waters. Four months later, if you're from that area, which I am, you know how cold it is. Four months later, his frozen body was found down near Lake Ontario. It had flowed down toward Lake Ontario, and it was perfectly preserved. Perfectly preserved. And I'll get to a little more of that in a minute. For, but his legend persisted. Even though he died, his legend persisted. Everybody began to jump. They jumped over fences, they jumped over cows, they jumped over store counters, they jumped over everything. It became a national pastime jumping, and they called it doing the Sam Patch. I'm going to do the Sam Patch, jump, 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 jump. And his motto was, some things can be done as well as others. Very deep, this guy, very deep. Uh, that's all, they'd say, why do you jump? Some things can be done as well as others. So that became the national motto. Everybody started using that catchphrase all the time. Everybody knew Sam Patch, loved Sam Patch. Andrew Jackson, President Andrew Jackson, even named his favorite horse, Sam Patch. For years after his death, people be, continued to believe that Sam was still alive, that he didn't really die because they didn't find the body until so much later. Perfectly preserved. Uh, there was a f frequent Sam Patch sightings all over the country. And as one recent commentator put it, the 19th century evil Knievel turned into the 19th century Elvis. <laughs> Fascinating story, huh? So, so that sounds crazy what Sam Patch did. But you know what? We are all called to do this spiritually. We're called to do this spiritually. We will see that often God calls us to take leaps of faith, leaps of faith into some very scary situations. And that's why I also did the new title for this, Life on the Edge, Life on the Edge. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the chance to, even though we can't be in church live and, and connect live, that we can still connect with the Word of God and connect with each other through your Word. I just pray for your mercy and grace now, that your Spirit would speak through your Word and, and touch our hearts and move us forward spiritually. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, so 2 Kings, and I'll go back. We're going to back up a little bit. The 2 Kings 2, verse 7 through 15. Fifty men of the company of the prophets were, went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and a fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. When he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it, Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he had struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. So, Quick review, for those who uh, didn't weren't part of the original series, you can also go back and listen in YouTube or the podcast and follow the whole series, Elijah, Elisha, fascinating study. But quick review, Elisha has just followed Elijah through the Jordan River. Once again, you could just go back to Chariots of Fire, parts 1, 2, and 3, of the sermons that uh, Chariots of Fire, parts 1, 2, and 3, and 2 Kings 2. But... He had just followed him through the Jordan. But now, after following Elijah through the Jordan, now he has to recross the Jordan. And a lot of us never stop to think, why did he have to recross the Jordan? Why did, why did he cross? It's not because the same reason you... Remember the kids, kids, we had the joke, why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? That's not why he recrossed the Jordan. Uh, it did help him get to the other side, but that's not why. There's a vital reason why Elisha had to recross the Jordan. Now, understand something. First of all, Elijah is a type of Jesus Christ. He's a, what he did, his life was a picture of what Jesus Christ accomplished. And crossing the Jordan is a picture of the cross. When Elijah crossed that Jordan miraculously, that's a picture of Jesus dying on the cross. He... He crossed, Elisha crossed in the same exact place. Remember, we've talked about this in the, before the other sermons. He crossed in the same spot that Joshua did when he came into the promised land. Joshua, same word. It's Hebrew for the same word for Greek is Jesus, it, it, that God saves. And it's the same word. And, and, and Joshua is a picture of Jesus Christ, what he did, same thing. And it's also where they cross, where Joshua crossed, where Elisha recrossed, is the same exact place that Jesus was baptized. Same exact spot. Because Jesus was baptized, not because he needed baptism, but, but it was a picture of his death and resurrection. When he went under the water and he came back out of the water, it's a picture of his death and resurrection. That's why we are baptized when we follow Jesus Christ. It's, we're identifying with Jesus' death and resurrection. When we go under that water, we come back out again exactly the same way Jesus commanded for baptism. That's a picture of what has happened to us spiritually. So Joshua, Jesus, 
Elijah, all crossed in the same exact place. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a prophetic picture of Jesus' death and resurrection. And then after Elijah went through the water, next thing that happens is the, the chariots of fire. Remember when Jesus, after he died and resurrected, what happened? Ascended into heaven. It's all a spiritual picture of Jesus Christ. Now, Elijah is a picture of Jesus, but Elisha is a picture of the apostles. Apostles, my God, is salvation, Elisha. It's a picture of God is our salvation. It's a picture of the apostles and us by extension. Now, Elisha, following Elijah through, the first crossing, when Elisha went through that river with Elijah, that's a picture of salvation. We must all cross that river. Jordan means death and judgment. Literally means spreading judgment. We must all follow Jesus Christ through judgment, through death, by faith in his death on the cross. Elijah going through is a picture of the cross. We must follow Jesus and his work on the cross by faith. We must follow him through. We must put our faith in what Jesus has done for us, dying on the cross for our sin coming out through that river, resurrection, putting our faith in his resurrection to give us new life. We have to put our faith in Jesus Christ, what he did for us. That's, that's a, the, the picture. We must all follow Jesus by faith in his death for us. Elisha's second crossing, though, is not about salvation. The first one is salvation. Elisha's second crossing is sanctification. Sanctification becoming holy, becoming like Jesus Christ. And it involves another death. It involves another death. Not Jesus' death. It involves another death. It involves the death of self. It's our death this time. The death of our self. It it involves that death. The apostles learned this the hard way. Ten out of the eleven surviving apostles were martyred for their faith, were killed. The, The eleventh, the apostle John, was boiled by the emperor, but he didn't die. God miraculously uh, rescued him. And so the apostles learned that we must all die to self. We must all die to self if we're going to truly follow Jesus Christ. That's what this picture of Elisha crossing the Jordan is all about. That is what we're going to see today. We must die to self if we're going to really live and follow Jesus Christ. So let's look at verses 13 to 15 again. Pick it up here. Elisha, talking about Elisha, said he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. When he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it, where now is the Lord, the God, Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and they crossed over. So Elijah takes up Eli, I'm sorry, Elisha. This is not easy to do this fast. Elisha takes up Elijah's mantle. He carried on his mission. That's what he did. Exactly what the apostles, now remember Elisha is a picture of the apostles. Exactly what the apostles were called to do after Jesus Christ's ascension. In fact, in Acts 1, 7, 8, Jesus gives them that very command. He, He says here, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Just as Elisha took up the mantle and carried on Elijah's ministry, the apostles, pictured by Elisha, 
all did the same thing. They carried on the ministry of Jesus Christ, and they have that passed that torch on to us. Those of us who have those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, who are disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to fulfill that same call. We are called to fulfill the Great Commission today. The Great Commission, Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen to twenty. Most of you have this memorized, I hope. I do, but I'm just going to read it because you know my, my older brain here. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you even to the end of uh, commanded you and surely I'm with you always even to the end of the age. So we see the great commission that is for us, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Memorize it, put it somewhere, look at it. But back to back to 2 Kings 2, back to 2 Kings 2, 13 to 15, where we see that he didn't just take up the mantle, 2 Kings 2, 13 to 15, he didn't just take up the mantle, but look what else he did. Verse 13, he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water at it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he had struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. He didn't just pick up the mantle, but then he had to recross the Jordan. He had to recross the Jordan. That's what he had to do. The Jordan, once again, is a picture the Jordan is a picture of death and judgment. Literally means spreading judgment. The word literally means that. And we already talked about that, how we must follow Jesus Christ through the Jordan by putting our faith in his death for us on that cross. We have to put our faith in him. We repent of our sin. We repent of our old life. We put our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, and then we follow Jesus Christ. We must all do that. But there is another vital step. That was the first one, but then he has to recross. There is another vital step after putting our faith in Jesus Christ, and that is we must recross the Jordan. We must recross the Jordan now by ourselves this time, by faith, by faith. We must recross, just as he followed the first time, but we all, after we put our faith in Jesus, then there, we have to recross the Jordan by faith. We must die to self. We must die to self. This is a, a picture of dying of self. We must take up our cross and follow Jesus Christ where he has gone before and where he leads us now. It's about death to self. This whole picture now is death to self. Salvation, now it's sanctification. Putting our faith in what Jesus' death, now it's dying to self. Very, very important. And I was talking to Chuck Harrison from church about this after this first sermon. And, and we were talking about that because he talks about death of self a lot. And, it, and, he, and he was saying, yes, and also his wife Joan, who passed away, as you know, passed away from cancer. He said she always called this Christianity 2.0. 2.0, and a lot of you remember Joan, what a beautiful, beautiful Christian woman that she was, a believer she was. And Joan would talk about that, how putting her faith in Christ is just the first step, 1.0, but the rest of our life is all about 
as a Christian, is all about dying to self. 2.0. It's all about that. Of dying to self. And she stressed that constantly. That the whole Christian life is dying to self. And she was a living example of that death to self. Long before the coronavirus hit. Long before there was quarantines and distancing, social distancing. She was, she had to live that out. Remember she had the extreme environmental illness. You know people who have to live in a bubble. That was Joan. But she didn't live in a bubble. She didn't go into the bubble, but she, she had to be in the house a lot or stay away from people and away from anything that could set her off. She had an extreme environmental illness. But yet in the midst of that, she was still a living example of that death to self. The death to self. She had an unbelievable attitude. An unbelievable attitude. She, she, she was all about not about herself, but about other people. She impacted so many people in the midst of that her trial, her lifelong trial really, it lasted many, many years. It, she impacted so many people by her example, by her life, by discipling people. Remember, she would disciple many of you over the phone or through letters or through the screen door. She would disciple all these, these uh, young girls and women. Unbelievable. We must die to self. This is all about this crossing the Jordan, recrossing by Elisha. We must die with Jesus Christ to self in order to really live. And I want you to lock this in. We must die with Jesus Christ to self in order to really live. That's what Philippians 3.10 is talking about. And we've talked about this many times. We're going to revisit it again. <laughs> we can never quite get it. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his death. Oh, wait, I'm going to reread that. I misquoted. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I'm going to read that again. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. We all want that. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. Woo! Powerful. There is, we must all die with Jesus Christ. To self, in order to really live. There is no resurrection power in our lives. There is no resurrection power in our ministries until we die to self. Till we die to self. Galatians 2.20, that's what it's talking about. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's what it's talking about. The, we, we must die daily by faith with Jesus so that we can live out his power and the percentage of spiritual resurrection power that we have is contingent on the percent that we have died to self. It's connected. The amount of resurrection power that we have in our life is connected to the percentage of how much we have died to self. But this is easier said than done. 
The self does not want to die. The flesh does not want to die. The sinful nature does not want to die. It doesn't want to die. It will do anything to survive. It will do a lot of good things even, but just let me live. Let that self, let that flesh, let that sin nature live. Those of you who have been a Christian long enough know what I'm talking about. It's brutal battle till the day we take our last breath, right? It is, it, not only is it impo- it's humanly impossible to kill. Humanly impossible. We can't do it. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story. Some of you have heard this story before, although I'm going to tell a few less details than I have in the past because it can be a little hard to hear, but it's the perfect illustration for what I'm talking about, how hard it is to kill the self, how it's impossible to kill the self. It's a perfect illustration. It's a, it's a tough story. I'm going to soften it, as mu- soften it as much as possible, but hang in till the end because you're going to see why I told it and you will never forget why I told it. So hang on till the end. It, it tells, it has a very important point that I hope you will never forget or its application. It's the most traumatic thing that ever happened to me on the farm. Uh, which is saying a lot. Farm boys see a lot, experience a lot. Uh, unbelievable. You heard the, some of the stories I've told you recently. Most, most traumatic thing that ever happened, I was driving one night down the road in the dark and raining a little bit, and I all of a sudden, the headlights see a dog laying in the middle of the road. It had been hit and killed laying in the middle of the road. And I swerved. I tried to get it you know, around, but I... I couldn't help it. I boom, boom, right over it. It was just a horrible, sickening feeling. Even though I'm like, it's already dead, it still was a horrible experience. I felt so bad. I, I went back. I, after I dropped one of the kids off for youth group, I drove back and, and uh, tried to find the owner. I pulled my car up, and now the, car, the dog wasn't in the middle of the road. He was off to the side of the road. He may have even been hit again since I had gone by. He was off to the side, off on the, you know, the edge of the road there, the, the, the gravel there. And and I pulled up my headlights shining on this dead dog and, and I went to look. I went over, knocked on somebody's door and said, and the person who answered was a friend of mine from the cross country team, John, really smart, smartest kid in the school actually. And I said, John, this dog's been hit. I didn't have the heart to say I also hit it. But this dog has been hit. Uh, is it your dog? He goes, oh no, we don't have a dog. Let me come out. And he looked, he goes, oh, this is these people, right? right across right there. And he said, let's go up to the door. And we go up to the door and we knock on the door. And this lady answers with a bunch of little kids. It was nighttime. Everybody's getting ready for bed. They're all in the pajamas and all that. And they're all like behind her like little chickens, you know, with a mother chick, chicken. And, and she, I, she goes, what happened? what's the matter? I go, your dog's been hit on the road. She's like, oh, no. And the kids were all upset. And so she says, okay, let me go wake my husband. He already went to bed early because he has to get up early for work. I'll, he has to get up really early, so I'll go get him up. And he comes to the door in, in his bathrobe, you know, and, and he's like, what happened? Get a flashlight. Your dog's been, your dog's been hit. Uh, I didn't have the heart to say I also hit it. Uh, but anyway, uh, so we, we go on outside there. And he brings the flashlight out and my headlights are on it and here's this dog and John and I are there and he, he squats down over the dog and he shines the light on it. And it was still breathing a little bit. Its stomach was still barely breathing, jumping a little bit. And its eyes, when he shined the light on the eyes, the eyes were like hopping. They were jumping all over the place. It was crazy. Turned out later we know what why eyes jump. It's because of concussion. But anyway, we'll go get to that. So he, he was still alive and, and the guy was 
shocked and he was in shock. He's like, huh, what should I do? What should I do? And I'm like, well, whatever you do, do something quick. <laughs> but, but he just couldn't. He was just in so much shock. So he's sitting there looking at this dog and he, and he goes, well, what do you, what do you think I should do? And I said, well, you have two options. I said, you can either take him to the vet or you can put him to sleep, put him down, you know, but you got to, whatever you do, do it quick because this was really troubling, right? And so he goes, well, <clears throat> finally he's like, hmm, 10 minutes, you know, he finally says, okay, I'm going to put him to sleep. He goes, uh, he goes, but I don't have a gun. And uh, John says, I don't have a gun. I'm like, two people across the road don't have guns where I grew up. That was shocking. Uh, almost as shocking as what happened with a dog. But, <laughs> but anyway, I said, well, I don't have a gun on me. <laughs> It'll take me a while to get home and get back again. So uh, I don't know what to say, you know. And he goes, well, I have a sledgehammer. I'm not making this up. I have a sledgehammer. And he walks across the lawn to his house to go get the sledgehammer. And I'm like... John, this is like the Twilight Zone, you know? I went, John, are we living a horror movie? What? Did he just say sledgehammer? He goes, yeah, he did. He's going to get a sledgehammer. I go, I can't even believe it. I want to just get in my car and drive off. I would have, except my headlights were on this dog. And, you know, we're the ones keeping, you know, every, you know, all, you know safe from all the other cars coming by and stuff. And so... I'm, I just want to leave. It was unbelievable. He comes back out and hands me the sledgehammer. Me. I hit it right back again. I go, I'm not going to hit your dog. And so he, so, <clears throat> so, uh, he goes, well, I can't hit the dog. John, John says, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. So John takes the hammer. John takes the hammer. And, uh, we, and I, I'm not going to go into detail. Uh, but it was like a horror movie. This was worse than a horror movie. This took multiple hits. That's how many, how many, but he wouldn't die. This dog wouldn't die. Even after that last hit, which, which finally Jonathan dropped the, the hammer says, ah, he was going to throw up because I'm done. We're all done. We're traumatized. But I still saw his stomach twitch. I said, I think his stomach still twitch. Like, no, 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 he dropped. He just walked. Let's go. Let's get out of here. It was unbelievable. We were, we were literally sick to our stomachs. <clears throat> I drove home. I am traumatized. I can't sleep. I am so upset. You can imagine. And I'm a farm boy. It takes a lot to traumatize a farm boy. But I, but the next day I called John and I said, John, what happened last night? What happened? And what's going on today? You know, how are they handling? He goes, Chuck, sit down. Tell me on the phone. Sit down. I didn't sit down, but I go, what, what happened, John? What happened? He goes, you're not going to believe what happened. The guy got up. The guy took the dog. He double bagged it. He double bagged it into two garbage bags, tied it up, put it behind the house. He said, I'll bury it when I get home from work the next day. He got up the next morning to go to work. He opens the door and the dog is sitting on the front porch. Sitting there, waiting for him. I said, what did he do? He said he took him to the vet, <laughs> which you should have done in the first place probably now that we know. But he, he took him to the vet and the vet uh, looks him over and gives a prognosis. He had broken ribs. I know why. He, uh, he, uh, he said he's broken ribs. He's pretty banged up. But really the worst thing that happened to him is he got hit in the head pretty hard. That's where he took the real damage was the head. 
Uh, and, 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 and he took it ahead. The, the dog survives. The next summer, I'm driving by, and I see the dog running in the yard with the, with the kids still, running around. He running at an angle, you know, but he was running. He was, he, okay, that, do that dog survived. That dog, I hope you don't forget this, that dog is a picture of us. It's a picture of our self. That is a picture of our flesh, of our sinful nature. That's what it's a picture of. It does not want to die. We do not want to die. And not only that, we can't kill self. We cannot kill self. Only God can kill self. Only he can do it. We can't do it. There's no human effort. There's nothing to do it. But we can, only God can do it. But before we can die to self, God has to bring us to the end of ourselves. To the end of our own. I'm going to say this again. Before we can die to self, God has to bring us to the end of ourselves. He has to bring us to the end. And that's exactly what he does to Elisha here. That's what he does. God brings him to the end of the self. He brings him to the end of his rope. He, he, he brings him to the end of self in order to put self to death. In order to put self to death, he brings us to the end of ourself. God leads him right back to cross the Jordan River. He just crossed it, but now he's got to cross it again. And that's a picture of death. And not only is he facing the Jordan, but he's powerlessness. His powerlessness he's facing. There's no Elijah this time. There's no boat. There's no bridge. It's just him and God. And only two times in all of history had the Jordan River been breached miraculously. The first time was, we already mentioned it, Joshua and then Elijah. And now he's being called to breach it for the third time in all of history. And God calls him to this test of faith at his lowest point. When he was, his emotional tank was empty. Empty. He was grieving Elijah. Just, it's, this is just like what happened with the, the apostles, the twelve apostles, eleven, uh, apostles and Jesus when he, when he died. Remember how they were just wiped out. They were just in mourning. They were hiding out. They were just completely crushed. That was what, that's a pic, Elijah is a picture. Of those apostles, he was he was grieving Elijah. He tore his clothes. He he his. It's a good thing Elijah left him the mantle. He wouldn't have anything to wear, right? He tore his clothes. His life was completely torn apart. Many here can relate to that, can't you? Many of us have that have had that same thing happen to our life. Coronavirus alone, but all the other trials, our lives have been torn apart. There's a reason for this timing with Elisha, and there's a reason for God's timing in our life. There's a reason for his timing here, and that is the death of self and the preparation for the resurrection power. The death of self and preparation for resurrection power. I'm going to give you a warning here. Whenever God prepares to move us forward spiritually, Whenever he prepares to do that, he will send a huge test of faith. A huge test of faith. When God leads us to pray for spiritual progress in our life, or in our family, or our kids, or our ministry, or our gifting in some way, he will first test us to show us our complete need for his mercy and grace. He will bring us to the end of self. 
and he tests us in the very area that we pray for. So don't be surprised. Elisha prays for Elijah's anointing and he picks up the mantle and then he has to cross the Jordan again. He prayed for that mantle. He got it. And look what he has to do. He has to cross the Jordan again. The testing always follows the, the giving of a divine gift. It's all connected. We see this all over the Bible. Solomon prays for wisdom. And what happens next? The very next thing that happens, two moms and a little baby. Whose baby is it? Testing of that wisdom. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. He's baptized and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And what's the very next, exact next thing that happens to him? The desert tempting. 40 days in the desert being tempted. The apostles received the Holy Spirit's fire. They receive the Holy Spirit's fire. And what follows next? The rest of the book of Acts is all about the fires of persecution. <laughs> it's all there. We see it in our own lives. I, I've shared this story at church several times. Bill Simon, who helped, who did uh, accomplish incredible things in the Philippines. When I go to the Philippines, people still talk about him. You know, oh, you know Bill Simon? You know him? Your friends look? Oh my goodness. You know, they just love Bill Simon all over the Philippines. But what he accomplished there, this huge impact. But I remember him telling me when he first got there, after he got chased out of China by the communists, when he first gets to the Philippines, the first thing that happened, he gets polio. He was on his back for six months. Didn't know if he would ever walk again. That's how God prepared him for his ministry. And to the end of his life, he still walked with a limp. He still walked with a limp. Like Elisha, it's when we are at our lowest, hit hardest, that our call and faith are tested. I remember when our when we got ready to plant New Hope Community Church, when our mother church met to to the the day they met, the leadership met to decide to start to call Kim and I to to plant this church here. That on that very day, we had to take our son Ryan, our oldest son Ryan, out of school because of a demonic attack at the school. There's no way around it. It was a demonic attack, something you read about in 60 minutes. We had to take him out of school that same day. The day we kicked off the church, the day we, the very first service we ever had, uh, a lot of people didn't know, but we were expecting our seventh baby at that time. And we were so excited about the seventh baby, but early in the morning of that day, of that first service, Kim woke up and she began to lose that baby. And she kept on losing that baby. The, during the opening service, Kim was like, oh, you know, Kim, she was like a tornado, hurricane all over the place, doing all these things the whole time. She was still losing that baby. Still losing that baby. When we pick up our mantle to follow Jesus Christ and his call, we will also be called to die to self. So be ready to be brought to the end of yourself before we can die to self. Be ready to be brought to the end of self. How is God calling you? Today, how is he calling us to die to self so that we can live out the power of his resurrection in our life? How is he bringing us to the end of ourselves? How is he bringing you to the end of your rope? What test are you facing today? 
coronavirus and far beyond that. There's many other trials out there, aren't, aren't there? What, what leap of faith is God calling us to take? What is our Jordan today that we're facing? The, I already talked about Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. We already talked about Philippians 3.10. And, but, I, but I asked Kim Polson, our resident artist, to put together a little graphic, which is will be showing on the screen even now as we talk. We must die to really live. I don't, I'm not big on tattoos, although some of my kids are, but, uh, I'm not, I have one, but if you're gonna get a tattoo, this is the one to get. I think this would be the perfect tattoo. We must die to really live. Philippians 3.10, and you can see the graphic, I'm sure, on the screen right now. We must die to really live. That'll also be on the, the podcast and all. But we must die to really live. We must die with Jesus Christ to self to really live. To really live. I, after I, Preached the sermon. We had a home fellowship, and and Sean Davis was in our home fellowship, and he started sharing more sharing more of his story. He actually shared a lot of this in church recently. I'd have him doing it here right now, except for social distancing. But but he had already shared it. But but Sean literally died. He wasn't a Christian. He was not following Christ. He was addicted to alcohol. He had a terrible alcohol problem. But he literally died one night. He literally died died. But somehow they revived him. Somehow, miraculously, he survived in the hospital. He, he, it was a miracle that he came back. It was a miracle. But the biggest miracle is right after that, and I've known Sean for 20 years, shocked me when he called me. Right after that, he had put his faith in Jesus Christ. It took that to bring him to Christ. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. And, and he shared how he, he lost everything. Talk about dying to self. He lost everything. After this even happened, after he died, he lost everything. He lost his, he lost his marriage. He lost his house. He lost his career. But he found Jesus Christ. He found life in Jesus Christ. And, and I'll remember him sharing this in church and even in our home fellowship recently, our Bible study. He said, I died, but I'm really living for the first time. Really living for the first time. Are you really living? Are you really living? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you found God's purpose for your life? It takes a leap of faith. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to have to follow him through the Jordan. You're going to have to put your faith in what he did on that cross. And and you're going to have to put your faith in what he did through the resurrection, giving you new life. You have to put your faith in Jesus Christ and his work on that cross. It takes a leap of faith. It takes faith. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever taken that step? Let's pray. Let's pray. As we are praying before God right now, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you personally right this moment? Maybe... Like Sean, you are dead in your sins. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have no purpose in this life. You have never found God's purpose for your life. But you can have that. 
with a step of faith, with a leap of faith. You can put your faith in what Jesus did for you right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Are you ready to take that step of faith? To pray that prayer of faith? Jesus, I believe you died for me, for my sin, for my shame, for the garbage in my life, for every mistake I ever made. I believe you died for me. I repent of that old life. I'm putting my faith in you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you through that river, through that judgment, through death. I put my faith in you, Jesus. I give my life to you. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, if you do pray that prayer of faith, something more miraculous than Sean coming back from the dead has just happened to you. You have come back from the spiritual dead. You have been given brand new life in Jesus Christ. Your life will never be the same. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you right now. And you will you'll never think the same or believe the same. You will never be the same person again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And I want to encourage you to grow in that new faith. Let somebody know you've taken that step of faith. Maybe you have a family member or a friend. Let me know if you don't have a, someone that you can talk to about this that is a, a Christian, a friend or someone, a, a family member. It, let me know. Call, send me an email, nhcc at comcast.net. Send me, send me an email. Uh, we'll get in touch. I'll help you get connected to a good church wherever you are and to grow spiritually. But your life will never be the same because God, you have now life and God is your Father. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe he's calling us to take a, a leap of faith a step of faith somehow. Maybe he's trying to get us to let go of self, to die to self so that we can really live. But we're hanging on, (laughs) clawing, hanging on. And he's trying to get us to let go of self, the flesh, sin. And today's the day we say, God, whatever you have to do, I want to die so that I can really Live. I want to die to self with Jesus so that I can really live. Father, I pray that each one of us would would put our faith in Jesus and live for him. I pray your Holy Spirit would do the work in our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well... Next week, we'll be back in the life of Elisha moving forward. And we're going to be on the part where he deals with the poison in the pot. All right. So don't miss that one. Okay. God bless.